0: Have you ever found yourself in a peaceful moment on a sunny day and then the very next moment the wind blows and the storm is there all at once? Christian author Max Lucado shares a story about Chippy the parakeet. Chippy was peacefully perched in his cage on one beautiful day and the next thing he knows he's sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems all started when Chippy's owner decided to clean out his cage with a vacuum cleaner. So she took off the attachment to the vacuum cleaner and had no sooner stuck the the attachment into the cage when the telephone rang. Instinctively, she picked up the telephone, and before she had hardly said hello, swoop! there went Chippy, sucked into the vacuum cleaner. She was stunned and gasped at what had happened. So she turned off the vacuum cleaner, put the phone down, and got into uh, the machine. And there was there was Chippy. He was he was stunned but still alive. And so she grabbed him and did what any responsible pet owner would do with their bird who's covered in soot and dirt, and rushed him down to the bathroom and stuck him under the sink and turned on the cold water. And then she realized what she had done is poor Chippy was shivering, all soaking wet. And so she went and reached for the hairdryer and immediately blasted him with hot air. Poor Chippy. Never knew what hit him. Sometime after this traumatic experience, the reporter who had reported on this incident called the owner and asked, well, how is Chippy doing? The owner said, well... Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sort of sits and stares. <laughs> How can you blame him, right? Sucked in, washed, washed up, and blown over. Can you relate? Have you ever had that experience? I bet you have. And that's what we find today as we read about these men who are caught in the middle of a storm. That's what we read in the last two chapters. going to go this way, I guess. Okay. The last two chapters in the book of Acts. uh, And just to kind of bring you up to speed, we are, of course, continuing in the book of Acts. And guess what? We're in chapter 27. And do you know how many chapters the book of Acts has? 28. 28. So we're on the last two chapters. Uh, I don't know if that brings a great joy to you or not. But uh, we are making progress. We're not going to cover it all today. There's still more to come. But we're in Acts chapter 27. And as you know, Paul has been arrested. He's been put on trial. And it's not a good situation for Paul. The only thing he can do to try to get out because there are people who are out to kill him, literally out to kill him is to appeal to Caesar in hopes that he might get a fair trial. Now, that says a whole lot about what was going on in that day just there. He's hoping to get a fair trial. And so he's loaded onto a ship. He's got to go to Rome, and along with other prisoners, and they start their journey. Now, it's kind of late in the season for doing this kind of trip. And so the weather, the weather starts to get bad, really bad, actually. Anybody with any common sense about sailing and weather would say, hey, it's time to stop. We need to stop right here. And Paul says so. Paul encourages them to stop because the lie, it's potentially dangerous. But do they listen to Paul? Of course not. They don't. And so let's pick up from Acts chapter 7 where Paul boards the ship and they all set sail for Rome. Acts chapter 27 from verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from the Adramitum, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristicus, and a Macedonian from Thessalonica was with us, The next day, we landed at Siran, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the sea off the coast of uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sindus when the wind did not allow us to hold our course and we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmonia. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day after atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo into our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in. The majority, majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor anchor, and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kuda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor, and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, "Men." You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And so that is our passage from Acts chapter 27, which is probably one of the most descriptive passages in the entire book of Acts. It starts with the words we However, we see the words we in the book of Acts, we know that it means that Luke, who's the author, is along for the journey. And when Luke is along, Luke loves to to tell a clear story. He loves the details. And so when Luke's on board, the parts of Acts get very detailed because Luke is telling us everything. And in this passage is great because he's super clear. He tells us all about the, the nature of the ships, the sailing practices, the sailors' experiences, and all the stops they make along. The way. If you like details, be glad that Luke is on board this part of the journey. But in these details, we see the true beauty of the message. Because the lesson of Acts chapter 27 is not primarily that God delivered 276 men from the Adriatic Sea. The lesson for you and for me is that God delivers us. From the storms of life. You see there are times. Jesus himself promised. That then there will be times. When the rain comes. And the winds come. And the streams rise. And the wind. The currents blow against us. Storms will come into everybody's life. And God is faithful when they do. We can and we should trust him completely. That way we can be prepared for the storms because how we respond to the storm actually makes a difference. You never know who's watching you as you face the storm. You never know how God is using the storm not only to strengthen you, but to do kingdom work around you. John Wesley the famous evangelist from the 18th century shares about a time when he was crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Back in those days, of course, everything was by ship. And John Wesley was not a, a man to be considered faint at heart. He was a courageous pioneer and sharing God's word. But he shares about this occasion when a storm came out of nowhere. A frightening storm tossed their boat back and forth. John and his friends immediately headed into their bedrooms and, and clung to their, their beds, the only thing solid in their rooms. But then John noticed there was a group of Moravians who didn't seem to be bothered by the storm. They continued their daily practice of worship and prayer on the deck of the ship. John noticed how these men handled the storm. He realized that they were, their faith was truly waterproof. And from that moment on, John prayed that his faith would be similar, that he would weather the storms of life in the most confident way. You see, the way we respond to the storm and God's work in our lives makes a difference in the kingdom of God. And that's one more reason to know storm tactics. So that's what we're going to cover today, this afternoon. I hope you came and you're ready for this because we're going to look at storm tactics. How do you face the storms of life? people who are prepared for storms learn they learn storm tactics methods for coping even thriving when things go wrong we see one of these storm tactics in verse 13 it says when a gentle south wind began to blow they saw their opportunity so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of crete before very long a wind of hurricane force called the northeaster swept down from the island the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind so he gave way to it and were driven along this passage reveals one of the most basic lessons about sailing and about life when storm comes when the storm comes head into the waves if at all possible now i'm not much of a boat person I don't think I've actually I don't know I've never even really been sailing. I I've, I've been on a boat that I can count maybe the number of fingers I have on this hand. So but I understand is, as I've researched this that that this is a true this is a true sailing truth. When uh, it's a fishing boat, if it's a canoe, if it's a sailboat, the best way to handle the waves is to face them head on to go directly into them. The greatest danger is when you kind of haphazardly turn to the side and when you're not prepared. Because that's when the waves come. That's when the boat is tempted to capsize and turn completely over. If you don't pay attention to the waves, if you don't anticipate and take control of the boat, if you don't face the waves, the boat will swamp and you will fall into dangerous waters. Same is true about our life. If we don't face the problems, the storms, they will overtake you. You never solve anything by ignoring the problems. You know, it's important to know. The problems don't, of life just don't go away. So ignoring problems and challenges is not going to solve them. The best way to face our problems is to deal with them head on. If there's an issue in your life, don't think for a moment it's just going to go away or somehow you're just going to make it through it. When the clouds begin to form in the sky... It's best to take immediate action. I often find that the Holy Spirit works in our life in this way, often sending us a warning, alerting our attention to something. Sometimes it happens through conviction, a feeling that the Holy Spirit is saying something about your life. Sometimes it happens through the voice of a friend, or a sermon, or a prayer, or a worship song. But whatever way it comes, Whenever the clouds start to form, you need to take action. Maybe, maybe even now, maybe even today, there's something you're sensing that the Holy Spirit is telling you, something in your life, something about your spiritual condition, and the Holy Spirit is prompting you, deal with it now. The storm is coming. Whatever it is, don't wait. It's easy. It's so easy to put it off, to think I'm going to deal with it later you know how this works is when you get in the habit of, of thinking, you know, I I got too many things going on right now in my life. I'm going to deal with my spiritual life later. I've got you know I've got tests coming. Uh, my schedule's so full. I've got so many responsibilities. As soon as I graduate, Lord, as soon as I graduate, I'm going to get serious about my faith. I'm going to really get involved. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get to know you better as soon as I graduate. And then what happens? They graduate. And then you start your career, and you start to thinking, Lord, as soon as I get settled in my career, as soon as I find out where I'm going to live, as soon as I settle down, then, Lord, I'm going to get serious about my spiritual life. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to start getting involved with the church. I'm just too busy right now. And then you get in your career, and the next thing you know, your family comes, and you start to say, Lord, the kids are so small. You know, I, this marriage thing is really, we need, I need to focus. The Bible tells me to focus on my marriage. I'm going to focus on my marriage. And I got kids. I got to do right. And, and everything becomes so busy. And, and you start to think, as soon as the kids get older, they get out of diapers. Then, Lord, then I'm going to start serving. Then I'm going to, I'm going to get more involved with the church. Or when the kids, they grow up and, and they're teenagers. And then you think, oh, Lord, did how did I know? Uh, as soon as they get out of the house, then, wait Lord, when I retire, you know the story you know life can go by in in an instant and you never get serious about your faith let the holy spirit prompt you let him encourage you to take action now don't wait the first storm tactic is to immediately take action and face the storm face it head on but we see that storm tactics can change a little bit in verse 15 we read the ship was caught oh, caught by the storm, and could not head into the wind, and so we gave way to it and were driven along. You see, when the waves reach a, a certain height, and uh, there's there's not an option, it's not an option to go directly into the storm into the waves. Then you've got to f- turn to a new strategy. You got to run alongside the waves. The best tactic, the best tactic in this case is to run with the waves. This is the place where you surrender your strength in exchange for God's strength. You have to trust that God is in control and that God is the anchor that keeps you safe. We have to humble ourselves and accept that God is at work in our lives even if we don't understand it. The psalmist expresses this By saying in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. We may not understand how God is working. We may not know why it's so. We may find it counterintuitive. It might even be difficult. But we can trust him. When we become still in God's presence, we see it. We have to find places of rest in God remember when Jesus was on a boat with his disciples and the storm came what was what was Jesus doing on that day he was sleeping have you ever wondered how is it that Jesus can can sleep in a storm like that sometimes you think well he must have been really tired right yeah, I'm sure he was tired enough but that's not really the indication of what the Bible gives to us the indication is that Jesus had such confidence in in his relationship with God, that he could rest even in the most difficult place. Even when his surroundings weren't quiet, when there was a storm all around him, his heart knew that God was in control. It's one thing to be still. It's quite another to know that he is God. You see, that's how Christ followers can live and wait on God with a certain sense of joy in their lives. Do you ever ever meet somebody who really likes to wait? If you do, let me know, because I'm still waiting to meet somebody who really enjoys waiting. I mean, who do you know that when they go to the store and they got their basket of groceries, they look for the longest line? Ooh, I'm going to go over here, because this. I bet I could stay here a long time. Never happens. Who likes to wait at stoplights? Nah, I don't see it either. In fact, we have this stoplight when we walk to church. It's on Neal Street. And I think it's the longest stoplight in Devertson. I've never timed it. But my family, we get kind of worked up about this. And we see if if it's about to turn green and we're like, you know, 50 meters back, that's about the thing. That's about the distance where if we start sprinting at that moment, we can catch it. And we do. There's not a day where we think, I don't want to wait. Do you know how long that light is? I don't even know how long it is. It seems like it's 10 minutes. It can't be, though. I think it's probably about two minutes, maybe. That's a long time. Nobody likes to wait. This kind of waiting is challenging for most of us. We don't like it, and it's difficult to wait on God in the middle of a storm. But those are the times that God often does his best work. It's when life our life gets shaped and defined. Our relationship with God gets fine tuned, and, and we develop a rest ability in God. It's beautiful. We see another storm tactic in verse 17. It says Then they passed the ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Now, that, this part is really fascinating. I, I, I've come to, to find it. The ancient sailing vessels were, of course, made of wood, wooden planks. But then they had a material that was called oakum that was actually driven in between the joints. And so the, the, the joints of the boat and in the, in the, the wood, the lumber, was actually held together by kind of a pressure system. But it really wasn't, it was fine if everything was was simple, but once the, the boat started to twist back and forth, there was a danger that these joints, that they could become unhinged, that they could come out of, of, of connection. And, and if the joints come out of connection, it means everything falls apart. All the lumber just dissipates. It's crazy. And so the sailors were afraid that these planks were going to come completely loose from the bottom of the boat. And so they took these long ropes. Uh, you can just imagine uh, a group of guys on each side of this long, narrow boat with the rope dragging it, you know, kind of getting it to the middle of the boat and then tying it together like a big Christmas present to keep that boat together. You see, you got you to gotta keep it all together. There are times in life when you just have to keep it together. You ever heard the phrase, you, things are falling apart? <laughs> things are coming apart in your life, and you want to keep it together. For followers of Jesus, Christian community is the only thing that can keep our lives from falling apart. We need the encouragement, the strength that comes from Christian community. We need to be together. We need to live life together. We need to know each other. We need to invest in each other, and we need to trust each other. It's like when you go on vacation you go on a vacation. You go on a trip back home, and you you tell your neighbor, "Hey, I'm going to be gone a month, a couple months. Can you watch over my stuff?" You ever said that to a friend, you know, someone? Hey, just watch over my stuff. Watch over my my bicycle. Watch over my car. Keep 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 track of it. Uh, like when we travel, we got pets. Like, we have a small zoo actually. We got a dog, a cat, and two guinea pigs. And so when we go away, we're gonna like, "Hey, not only will you watch our stuff, but will you feed our pets?" You come over and take take care of our pets, and, and we worry about that, but that's because we have, we don't worry about it, because we have community, we have friends who take care of that, and so our stuff and our pets, that's kind of a big deal, isn't it, but let me ask you this, do you have anybody who's taking care of your soul, you see, because your soul is a lot more important than your stuff and even your pets, is there anybody who's looking out for you on your spiritual journey? Who's watching out for you to make sure that you're still growing in your relationship with Christ? To make sure you're trusting and hoping and experiencing the love of Christ and living like you should in the kingdom of God. Who's looking out for you? You're only going to find that in Christian community. Paul himself is no stranger to this. In fact, in anticipation, he's on his way to Rome to meet the church in Rome. He writes in the book, the letter to the Roman church in chapter one, verse 12. He says that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You see, God intends for us to have relationships that are meaningful and help us in ministry and in life. Sometimes, actually, I believe the best glimpse, the best experience of God's love, the love of Christ you can find, comes in connection with other Christians. And so Christian community is vital to every follower of Jesus. I always say there's no such thing as an individual Christian because you can't follow Christ alone. You're ultimately at your best. and in It's essential you serve in community. And so it leads us to one more storm tactic that comes from verse 18. It says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard It tells us that the second day was so violent that they began to throw the cargo cargo over and the third day it was so bad that they threw the tackle over and actually even later in the passage they throw more stuff over. The the sailors realize that the heavy objects they're carrying around aren't going to help them in the storm, in the middle of the storm. The boat needs to be as light and responsive as possible. When survival is at stake, extra weight needs to be thrown overboard. There's a similar story in the Old Testament. It's the story of Jonah. Remember that? When the sailors are ready to start throwing stuff overboard and and they figure out that Jonah's the problem. Well, guess what they do with Jonah? Uh, See you later, Jonah. And they throw him. And it's actually the right thing to do. Get rid of the problems of life. In that case, Jonah was the problem. Jonah has a whole other story about that. But the sailors did the right thing. They got rid of the problem. It means that we have to get rid of the cargo during the storms of life. I believe that any Christian life is a call to live simply and uh, to to live light, to have a, a ship that's easy to navigate. But it's especially true during the storms. Sometimes our stuff, our junk, our commitments, they weigh us down so much that we are unable to move. And so it means we need to examine every area of our lives to see what's getting in the way of our relationship with Jesus. I mean, let's face it, how easy is it that our lives become filled with too many responsibilities, too many obligations, too many distractions, too many things we're carrying around in our boat. that We just don't have time for our relationship with Jesus. And so when the storm is there, a storm tactic, before the storm comes, focus on the only thing that matters, our relationship with Jesus. Whatever stands in the way, whatever hinders your spiritual growth, whatever competes for your devotion with Jesus, it's time to throw it overboard. Maybe you can do that even today. Make your ship a little bit lighter. Throw something out of the boat. In chapter, seven, um, chapter 27, verse 20, we read one of the saddest and most power-packed passages in the entire Bible. It's sad, I believe, whenever people give up hope. Yet, God uses the storms to clear off the deck, and he uses them to help us to depend on God. Verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And that's when God sent the angel. Isn't God's timing always perfect? He is the God of time, and therefore his time is always the perfect time. I love that. He could have sent the angel any time. He could have sent the angel A day before, Paul, before they started to get too discouraged, he could have sent them a week ahead of time. The angel said, Paul, this is coming. He could have sent the angel before Paul and the men ever left. The angel could have said, hey, you guys, you're going to have a shipwreck, but hang in there. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. But he didn't. He didn't send the angel then. He didn't send it a week. He waited until they gave up hope of being saved by themselves. They were finally ready to receive the help God was willing to give. You see, they'd done everything they could. They trimmed the sails. They dumped the cargo. They cleared the decks. They did everything that was humanly possible. And it wasn't until they exhausted everything that God said, okay, now you're ready to be saved. Now I'm going to tell you it's going to be okay. Now I'm going to save you. It's what I call a moment of surrender. You know, we, we talk about surrender uh, to, to the Lord, and it's, 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 it's a military term, really. It's, you know, if you're on a battlefield and you've got two armies competing with each other and one of them raises the white flag, it means they're going to stop the aggression. They're going to stop the war. They're going to stop the battle and just take whatever the, the other one gives. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God. At some point, we've got to get to the place where we hoist the white flag of surrender, We stop doing battle against God because until that day we are battling God. And we got to stop battling God and let the Lord of life change our life. Let him do the battle for us so that we would be changed, so that we would let God have his way with our life. Now, if we were going to read the book, the rest of the book of Acts which I'm not. <laughs> but if we were, i give you a little insight. The rest of this chapter, if you want to peek ahead, I won't tell next week's preacher uh, that you did so. But they all do make it to shore. Uh, not as expected, but they do make it safely. You see, God's plan is always the best plan. And this is the story of God saving people. But yet It's the story that's connected to the most complete story of God saving people, which happened when Jesus gave up his life on a cross through his death and resurrection. Jesus saves, has the ability and offers to all who would listen the opportunity to be saved and set free. And so you need to know this, no matter what the situation is, No matter how hard the storm seems to be, God is at work for those who love him. And even when you can't see it, God, he's working, and you can know that he is at work. There's no storm so dark, no tragedy so great, nothing you've done that's so tragic, so terrible, no disappointment so strong that the ever-present relentless Savior isn't with us trying to bring us safely to shore if we just reach out to him. That's the greatest storm tactic ever, to call on the name of Jesus and know that Jesus will respond. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you truly are God of the storm. No matter what happens or is happening or has happened in our lives, you are faithful and you are at work trying to save us. Lord, help us to have the common sense to let go and to trust in you. And maybe even even today, maybe we need to do a little house cleaning. Maybe we need to throw some things overboard. Things that are distracting, things that we're carrying around, weights, things that we have, responsibilities that we, we take on, or or emotions we carry to throw them overboard so we can trust in you. And Lord, maybe, maybe we've been we've been dodging dodging the, the the storms and the challenges of life help us to have the courage to face them now help them to help us to to know your strength and experience your faithfulness even now even today we thank you and we pray all this in the name of jesus our lord amen